Hello again, friends. The great Brian Last here, you there, and we are back with another bonus drive through here on YouTube. The big review of AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling's Forbidden Door 2023. And here he is, walking through that door right now, the star of the drive through Mr. Jim Cornette. Wait a minute. The door's locked. I can't get in. Door's locked. Try the window. I wanted to jump out the window. Good Lord. You know, we are here to analyze, criticize, and circumcise the multi-hour presentation of AEW known as Forbidden Door, the New Japan Pro Wrestling and AEW collision between the two world, worlds collide. Didn't Heyman made some money off of that at one point? Yeah, because Heyman had a show in early 94 called When Worlds Collide when he had Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton on the show. And then when they use it later in the year for the AAA IWC slash WCW pay-per-view, Lucha Libre Spectacular, When Worlds Collide in November, Heyman sued. And then uh, <laughs> I believe he settled or he threatened to sue and he settled for getting Brian Pillman and Sherry Martell and Kevin Sullivan on a ECW arena show. I don't know what else was part of the settlement, but he got them. Supposed well, to be these, Steve Austin, though, but Steve Austin couldn't make it, so they got Brian Pullman. These worlds collided, and I'm the one who wanted to sue. Um, I know a guy. Well, here's the thing, I, and I do too. Stephen P. New. New is for you. 888-692-8084. Nevertheless, I understand that the incredibly dedicated, hardcore, die-hard, wh whatever phrase you want to use for these people, that really are into AEW, are also really into the Japanese wrestling and the various indie wrestling around the world. And I understand that they will spend every penny they have to buy the pay-per-views or go to these shows or support this. I'm not saying they shouldn't do an AEW New Japan combined effort on pay-per-view because people around the world, for those kind of people who like that kind of thing, that's the kind of thing those people like. As a business decision, they can get, a what is it, 130 or 140,000 people to buy this pay-per-view every year, no matter what the fuck's on it, as long as there's plenty of what they had here. But is there any reason, Brian, business-wise or aesthetically, that it has to last for five fucking hours and have 80 people on the show? There's no good reason for that, other than it's a dream show and all these people from who knows where certainly not just the Toronto area, have come in to see all these guys, so they probably want to cram as many of the special guests onto the show. But then doesn't it, it actually tend to work in the opposite direction, that it tends to hamper people's enjoyment of something when it's a marathon and people at that point are just ready to go fucking home? Or does it hamper the specialness of the performances when everybody's doing the same shit repeatedly over and over variations on a theme for five fucking hours. I don't know if it hampers it. I think some of that audience could use a hamper. Oh, uh, it that's anyway, I just want to preface at the top of the program. 
that, that this is the perfect kind of promotion for AEW because their fans are the hardest of the hardcore and know who all these Japanese folks are and etc. It would be insane. That's why somebody, well, I remember when was it a year ago, people were discussing is WWE trying to take away the new Japan related WWE would be insane to devote resources to a show like this because their audience, I would think the minutest portion of them would understand who these people are. But they also, if they did, wouldn't make the goddamn thing last five hours and they would inform us of who the three or four key individuals or entities were that they were bringing over from New Japan to put focus on them and let us know who they are as human beings and why we should give a fuck, rather than just sprinkling in 17 fucking people that work for New Japan Pro Wrestling over the course of an already bloated fucking AEW roster. So you you really had to be motivated to like this show. Yeah. And we may not be the target audience. You specifically may not be the target audience. But I think in, in this case, it's kind of like a show that in practicality, when you think about it, probably should be in a smaller venue. You know, if Ring of Honor had tried a show like this, and, and they did in a lot we of did. cases with Noah, 2,000 people may have been the limit. Here there is an audience. And this is their big, this is like the WrestleMania of dream matches between New Japan and AEW. I mean, well, and, and another with the, with the ring of honor situation with Japanese guys, actually we were trying to at the time in 2012, was it not was who was Davey Richards working for at that point? Now oh, I'm, I'm not lost. sure. I'm not sure. I think we were trying to deal with new Japan. Greg, the office boy, didn't want to buy plane tickets. And then we were able to get, or was this after I left? I know what happened. When Ring of Honor was able to get Japanese talent in Toronto for the first time, and it was either 20, it was 2013, I'm pretty sure. The reason for it is when we finally talked them into paying for plane tickets, then they found out that new Japan guys wouldn't work without proper paperwork. It wouldn't like the other indie guys would just fly in and act like they were going to visit the empire state building or whatever. So, and the paperwork was a couple thousand dollars per person, but then they found out that if an American company ran a show in Canada and used Japanese talent some way or another, they didn't need paperwork. And so that's why they got them in Toronto first. And that's probably what they're doing here. But I bet you Tony's paying them out the ass that in those days, the Japanese promotions to get somebody, even their top guys on any kind of TV or pay-per-view or whatever over here would either pay for the trans sometimes or pay the guys to come. They wouldn't pay for the paperwork, but nevertheless, anyway, we're, we're backtracking here. Concentrating on today, the biggest New Japan wrestling marks in the world are now in charge of the second biggest wrestling promotion in the United States, and this is what we got. Five hours of masturbation from a variety of people who, again, 
used to do commentary over these tapes in their basement on VHS. And I watched Japanese wrestling when the only way to watch it was on VHS. And I still never wanted to do the goddamn flying cross body off the top rope to the floor like Grand Hamada was doing it because that just looked crazy. Anyway, should we start on this thing? I think we should start at the beginning. Well, the beginning was the pre-show, and I didn't watch that because that was another hour of even more inanity because this was with a bunch of people that nobody gives a fuck about. And it was going to be more of the same thing I was going to see for the next four hours. But I do have the results. Would you like to know the results of the pre-show? Yeah, I had it on in the background. And I wanted to watch it or at least give it a chance. But I there's only so much time in the day and I knew this was going to run along. So this was time to like get things going and get food and stuff. Yeah. In an hour, they managed to smash in an eight-man tag, a six-man tag, a girls match, and... One of the guys got to wrestle in his hometown, but he did a job. It was Swerve Strickland, Brian Cage, Bishop Khan, and Tia Leone over the Puddin' Gang, El Desperado, and Rocky Romero. Athena somehow managed to defeat Billy Starks. Hopefully she didn't hurt her at the same time. El Fantasmo beat Toronto's own Stu Grayson formerly of the Dork Order, formerly of the Super Smash Brothers, and currently of the Who Gives a Shit. And then Takahashi, not to be confused with, although I'm sure everybody did, Tanahashi. Takahashi, Takaji, and Bushi beat TJ Perkins, Kyle Fletcher, and Jeff Cobb. Is that what you saw? That definitely would have sold me on the pay-per-view if I wasn't going to get it already. Let me just, Jesus Christ. All right. So anyway, then the pay-per-view started. And I should have known. I should have known, but Brian, this is this is even richer. Because I understand that old Sockface, old Excalibur, the man behind the mask, the the assault on our hearing that runs us off of the volume button on Wednesday nights every week. The voice of AEW Dynamite every Wednesday night on AEW Dynamite. On AEW Dynamite. He had to do all of the Forbidden Door pay-per-views they've had up until now because, of course, he's the lead announcer. And even though in the past Jim Ross has done New Japan announcing, and even though... He's, he's a fucking Japanese mark, and his friends gave him this job, even though he had never done a television program in his life before he debuted on TBS. And you knew he was going to have to... But now they have legitimately hired New Japan Pro Wrestling's American announcer currently. He's been doing it for the past I don't know, three, four, five years. Kevin Kelly. But yet when they do a co-promotion between AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Kevin is there all right, but he's sitting in the beach chair next to Sockface, who's never worked a fucking day for New Japan Pro Wrestling in his life. 
because he still doesn't have the, what would be the word, doesn't have the the guts and the intestinal fortitude to say, you know what, you know what you're doing here, and I'm a fucking Mark that got lucky, so since you're here, Kevin, you can do the show. Oh, my God. Listen, it is something to talk about, the idea that in just two weeks of collision, a great episode and a eh episode, a really good episode and an eh episode, Kevin, Cull- Kevin Kelly, Kevin Kelly has stood Or out. Killer Kelly. Killer Kevin Kelly has stood out. Him and Nigel together have stood out. Just such a breath of fresh air from the bizarre, synthetic, frenetic pace of him with Shivani giggling along. And Taz just, I feel bad for Taz. He has to try to deal with these two morons on the mic. And Taz was good here when dealing with Kevin Kelly. I know they probably worked together in the past. But Excalibur, I don't know. And Taz later on disappeared. Well, I mean, of course. And Shivani came back. Goddamn, and Shivani came back. But I can understand tagging the announcers in and out because, goddamn, this thing was so fucking long. It, although Sockface is never going to give up a second of screen time. I will anyway. be under the table. So no, but, the, but Shivani, they brought Shivani out to commentate over New Japan Pro Wrestling. Whatever you want to say about Jim Ross, Jim Ross calls wrestling. To Shivani's out there just to yell, this is great, I'm digging it. Wow, look at this. Why did he have to do this? It could have even been a two-man booth from that point forward. It probably would have helped things. So that's my only other thought about the commentary. Well, my thought about the first match was, now I understand exactly why MJF made the I'm sure shoot demand that he go on first because this thing was interminable and the people were already, they'd already seen an hour of wrestling when the first match began on the real show with the supposed real stars. And I bet you that Punk was mad that MJF hit Tony up for first before he did, which is why he went second. Because how the fuck would you want to go seventh in this mess? Anyway, did you like MJF's robe? Very nice. On the back, New Japan is an indie. He He could have called everybody in that building's mother's whores and not get the heat that he got from saying New Japan Pro Wrestling is a fucking indie. Uh, why does the Japanese ring announcer have weird gray and blue hair with half his head shaved? Is there some epidemic of mange in Japan? Why is everybody's hair so just fucked up? You know, somewhere after Antonio Inoki stopped being involved with New Japan began the Buffon era of New Japan Pro Wrestling, and that's where we are today. Inoki had a hell of a head of hair. Do you think oh, it was yeah. his Brazilian heritage? Oh, I don't know. Fujinami had a great head of hair. Well, that's true. Who didn't? I mean, Muto went bald, but so many of the Japanese wrestlers had great heads of hair. Baba Baba was really cursed. That was a bad bald spot. But not anymore with the heads of hair. Now it's all the same. It looks like somebody has fucking thrown a squirrel in there and said, have fun. Um, At least MJF mocked the whole presentation of everything and and Tanahashi's air guitar which I guess is a thing and the way he walks bow-legged which is obviously a thing and 
again, we talked about this on the, what show did we just do? The experience a couple of days ago that yes, Tanahashi's a legend in Japan. And so people obviously are forgiving because when you see him for the first time over here or some, some person sees him without context, he's like, what the fuck? Is he injured? Is he broke down? He walks by. Yes, it's from a, a lifetime of becoming a legend in Japanese wrestling. But right now, if you get a legend that can't go anymore, but the people still want to see him, protect him. Don't make him go 20 minutes in singles matches where all the shit that he does, your job guys in your company on free TV every Wednesday do it better and higher and quicker and faster and whatever the fuck. And if the legend can't connect verbally by speaking to people, then that takes that away. So now you've got this guy that you've heard about, you've always wanted to see, and he comes in and he's broken down and he's trying to do the shit that he did however many years ago, and it doesn't work and you don't have any emotional connection to him as a person. You know, I'm not saying every legend has to be in a tag team match. Don't have it go so long. Or... I mean, MJF did the best he could here with what he had to work with, but my God, it was a tribute to him that it, this was as good as it was. He worked as a heel. It wasn't just a collection of meaningless spots. And MJF was using all the tricks. But <clears throat> Tana, the punches are horrible. He can't get to the top rope, but he kept doing it. He can't get up there, and then he can't stand up there. And the announcers were blaming the difference in the New Japan ring turnbuckles. Yeah, they did try to explain it. Well, yeah, or it could have been gravity. They could have explained it that way. <laughs> he was doing shitty crossbodies off the top rope. And then, I mean, just again, and I'm thinking, where is fucking Nigel? God damn it, who probably knows more about Japanese wrestling than anybody except Kevin Kelly and fucking old sock face there. And MJF would try to, like he hit the shoulder breaker, but he sold his knee too so that it would try to give show him some weakness so that the other guy could legitimately take it. But it, it, their world champion is working with a guy who is not impressive. And unless you're a Japanese wrestling fan you got no idea how he would be, have, have ever become a superstar and that's a, that's why i'm saying protect the legends and if you've got legends that can't speak imagine if bullet bob armstrong as in good a shape as he was and the way he could work couldn't have talked to people would he have been a tenth as popular and no nobody is so anyway, and that's the thing, if the New Japan Pro Wrestling crossover matches are dream matches, but they're neither as good as the regular AEW matches, nor mean anything going forward in the overall storylines, then whose dream are they? Tony's. And the guy's doing them. We're doing some of them. And MJF was probably trying to get the fuck over with this and get out of there without getting hurt. Not to disagree with you. Because, again, Tanahashi is 46 and broken down. And if he's not broken down, he looks like he's broken down. He doesn't look like the same wrestler he did 10 years ago. And who would? Wrestling that style and 
again, 10 years later, knowing that probably a good portion of that crowd, they want to see him, and maybe their only chance to ever see this guy who has been presented as the modern-day legend of New Japan Pro Wrestling, does that change your thought on how long it should go? Well, no, because you don't want to see the guy. I wouldn't have put him against MJF because there's your world champion, and he's having to really reach down to try to carry this guy that long. If they really want to see Tanahashi, put him against somebody at the next level down that he can fucking go 10 minutes with and do his shit and beat and win. And then they've seen Tanahashi and they cheered for him when he won. And he did his sling blade that they wanted to see where he's basically just crumpled on top of the fucking guy. And I mean, and finally the finish MJF brings the belt in the ring and the referee just takes it away from him. And then Tanahashi gets a schoolboy and a two count. And then MJF pushes him into the referee. And while that's distracted, the referee, he punched him with the ring one, two, three. And I wrote, thank God that's over. But I mean, you know, I would have rather seen MJF go 20 minutes with take a shit. Cause I'm, I'm of all of these guys, the only one that I think is worth a shit on his television program, literally going forward is take a shit. And he doesn't have all the bad habits so far that these other guys have that all do the same shit. It's like the WWE or the Japanese version of WWE. All the new Japan guys do the same shit. Just like all the WWE guys do. You just got to hope he doesn't get the Rachel haircut from friends like the rest of the new Japan crew. No, I think he needs to stay exactly as he is. They got something there, but, but he's a heel. So MJF, you wouldn't want to book and he's around. So you wouldn't want to book MJF versus him. If you well, were no. going to use MJF on the show, but they were going to use it. They were going to use, uh, they did use take as a baby face. They could have got that. in. I'm just saying as a, as a Japanese talent, <laughs> The poor guy that's supposed to be getting a push because he was just an underneath guy and nobody gave a shit about take a shit. He's better than Tanahashi and Takahashi and Okada and Omega and Bermuda, Bahama. Come on, pretty mama. Key Largo, Montego. Well, baby, where did we go wrong with this show? You just changed the lyrics, but. Yeah, song. all right. Underrated song, people. Say bad things about it. So anyway, continuing uh, the final thoughts on MJF's match with this fucking guy. Uh, I would rather talk about Kokomo. No, I thought it was um, better than I expected after seeing the Swerve Strickland match with Tanahashi on Collision, which was taped. I, mean, I don't know if that was just as is or if it was edited, but it was Well, it, no, it was MJF instead of Swerve, and it was... MJF instead of Swerve. Yeah, and MJF works a smart match. And, you know, even though he's the AEW world champion, it was the right move having him start off the show because he wasn't going to... He wasn't going to go out there and do stupid stuff to outdo the guys that were going to do stupid stuff to outdo each other. So this is the perfect place for him. And I actually thought the one-two punch on this show worked well. Despite, yes. Despite the uh, length of the match. The two biggest stars in the company got on first and second on the pay-per-view or fifth and sixth if you were actually in the arena, and then they got the fuck out of there before they got any on them. 
because the next match was the Owen Hart tournament match with Satoshi Kojima versus CM Punk. And as we mentioned, I think there that maybe they flipped a coin and said, okay, heads gets first, tails gets second. We're going to Tony. But you had again in Toronto, and this time with an actual big crowd, not like they had the other night with the TV taping they shoehorned in, but the original show they actually announced was thirteen or 14,000 people. And when they hear, Lack Mussolini! They went out of their fucking minds in both directions. And again, now, they've got... The, they've... <sighs> ended up where their biggest star is now, again, the most popular and most unpopular guy in the company. Because now he gets more heel reaction than MJF does, because while everybody enjoys booing MJF because he is a fabulous heel, the little buckaroo fans really are booing Punk because they hate him because he beat up their heroes. And the people that love Punk are trying to, conversely, out-yell and out-cheer and out-chant or whatever, those assholes. So, and Toronto is well, but you couldn't hear the music practically. And they could have had my vocals on Cult of Meat with Extra Cheese. Nobody would have noticed. It was so loud. But And let's be honest, it wasn't as much a mixed reaction as it was more anti-punk than pro-punk here. Well, yes, and also because the boos are the loudest, but also they're in Toronto, and one of the, one of the group that punk turned away with fucking, you know, their hat in their hand and their dick in their hand was Twinkle Toes, who's from Canada, and they loved him here. And there's a, a lot of soft little buckaroos in Toronto, apparently. But it, but that's the thing. And then Kojima, by process of elimination, became the fucking baby face. So Punk, Punk went with it because he was loving it. He's making a big fucking check regardless of what they do, and he's doing his shit, and it's getting more reaction than anybody in the company again. And so in this one, Punk put Kojima stuff over... So he leaned into being a heel and subtly switched to put himself in the heel position without kicking somebody in the balls or gouging eyes, but selling a little bit more on an exchange or coming out at the, uh, the worst end of the exchange specifically to keep the thing moving, keep it entertaining and give people what they wanted fucking see. And I mean, for the most part, punk was keeping it entertaining again. Kojima's and then he made the comeback and I get, is he the one that Kingston got it from that does the ridiculous fake fast chops in the corner that's no. so ridiculous and childish? No, I think he got it probably, if I had to guess, originally from Kenta Kabashi because he was doing it in the 90s. But this guy does it too. And this guy did it too. And at one point, Punk finally just put his hand up and shoved him off and said, all right, that's a fucking enough. It's so ridiculous looking how can you be a grown man and want to do that? And, and I can't imagine a grown man would want to take it. It's just, 
This whole show, there were way too many chops, way too many people standing well, there letting the other, too many matches. I mean, if you're going to do it one time on a show, which they do it so often, it's probably too much right now. How many matches had that spot? Well, this wasn't even the you hit me, I'll hit you spot. We'll fucking eviscerate that later on. This was that thing where it's so ridiculous where he's slapping the guy's chest with one hand and slapping his belly with the other hand and just do it. You're not even making contact. And it just makes the guy that's having to stand there look like an idiot. Phony fucking bullshit. Anyway... So Kojima goes up to the top rope and more or less fell off the top rope with an elbow drop right in Punk's nuts. And that's what they said. Kojima is a 31-year veteran. And I'm like, how the fuck old is this fucking guy now? Do they have young wrestlers in Japan these days? They do. Um, Takeshita is a young wrestler from Japan. He's not in Japan these days. What are they doing on the New Japan cards? Is it like goddamn chaos at the rest home? Do they do they have a fucking hover round to get them to the ring and then a fucking Stairmaster lift to get them up in the ring? Well, it's a long process. You have to be trained. You have to teach you all the submission holes. They have to really grueling techniques to stretch your neck and everything. And then they send you to Sassoon and you get your hair done and you're ready. <sighs> How come all the young guys that were working for Anoki and Baba in the 80s didn't look crippled? They looked like they were the baddest athletes on the planet. And they didn't fucking sissy slap each other. Anyway, Punk took back over and went to the top. The crowd booed like crazy. And he glorified in it and then hit a nice elbow off the top. And then... He got the Anaconda vice, but old Kojima fought out and started with the Mongolian chops, which again, oh my God. But Punk was selling him great with the fucking body language. And then they did a, a false finish. And then Punk went for the lariat, or no, the other guy went for the lariat or something, but Punk hit the kick and a go to sleep, one, two, three. And he did the best he could, just like MJF did. He got all that they could get out of these guys. You know, the, I mean, you can't deny that people like the idea of seeing these people more than what they, if they'd have just been honest about what they were seeing, it was a different fucking vision. You may be right, but I actually thought this was a great match. I really got into it. I thought Punk... Punk's facials are the most underrated thing about his game because you believe everything he's going through in the match. Yeah, he's reacting to everything. It's great. And that crowd reaction, I'm a major mark for crowds going nuts like that. And I don't know if that's going to go away. And there's going to be different towns where it's different and it's going to create a unique energy you're going to want to see and hear every single week. Punk played into it perfectly. He knew what he was walking into. Oh, yeah. And he dealt with it perfectly and he delivered a fantastic match, I thought. Well, I, mean, I really like this match. I, I'm I, not as down I, on Kojima, uh, especially this performance here, as you are. I rated Punk's effort five stars. Well, Kojima was the best of a a bad situation, as Mama Cornette used to say. Um, here, but uh, again, the the goofy chops and just the other and, and just goddamn, they all do the same shit. We're gonna see. This was the first time we saw some of it that night, but we're gonna see more of it. And more and more. And I'm tired of it. I'm, a, I'm tired of it. I can't handle no more of it. 
Ole Anderson, if you move. All right. Then we had a four-way for the mascot championship. Every tie, every match on this show either was for a championship or somebody had a belt with them, even if it wasn't on the line. And this was Pockets versus Shibata, the man with no brain. No, he has a brain. We've gone That's over this. That's right. The the man with the new brain. No, it's again, it's it's his brain. He was the born man with, with it. The, the same brain. The same brain that he was born with. All right, Pockets versus the man with the same brain versus Daniel Garcia versus Q-Tip Saber. And I'll have you know. (laughs) You know what? I didn't really say anything last time, but I watched it here. Zack Saber's filled out. This is him filled out. He used to be really skinny. And now he's more filled out. I actually thought he looked all right. Other than the fact that he's in there with Pockets. And other than the fact that his hair fucking glows in the dark. Well, so does Cody's. Yeah, but Cody's got a fucking star underneath it. That's not a star. That's a neck tattoo. No, I'm talking about Cody. Yeah, that's a neck tattoo. Underneath underneath that head of hair is a star. Cody. (laughs) Underneath this head of hair is fucking Zack fucking Saber. Junior. He looks like a Q-tip. Saber Junior. Anyway, well, I don't. I maybe if I saw Senior, I'd be more impressed. Where is Senior? I don't know. Is he a wrestler? I, I, you're you're telling me all about old Zack Saber and his fucking weight and height and hometown and all that stuff. I thought you'd know about his parentage. I only spoke about his bouffant and his uh, size. I don't know anything about Mister Senior, Mister Saber well, Senior. I can tell you something about Mister Saber Junior and the rest of these. Nitwits that entrances to exit of everything. It was 20 minutes on this show. On this show, they still had to go 20 fucking minutes. Did if if any of these people were not on the card, would the fans in Toronto have set to see seats on fire? No, but I do think a lot of people want to celebrate Shibata having his brain back in his head. <sighs> So they like to see him. Maybe there's a better way to use him on the show. Can the same doctors replace Tony's brain back in his head? Have we found it? All right. Speaking of which, so now we get the IWGP title where Sonata is the guy who basically said, I have no idea who the fuck this guy is. Jungle Jack Perry. I don't. Why? Why am I not wrestling a star? I don't know why I'm. Being booked like this is basically, I mean, depending on the translation, that's what it sounded basically like. So we have Sonata against Jungle Jackoff, who's now got his best friend Hook. His best friend Hook is in, a, in his corner. The team of Jungle Hook, they've been together, what is it now, Brian? Three glorious weeks? It has not been long at all, no. Jungle Hook. Yeah. Okay, so Sonata, I noted that he looks under 40, and he's in shape. So we got one, and his shit looks pretty good. No perm. And no perm, normal head of hair. And that's why I was saying, okay, MJF and Punk had to carry the first two opponents, and now Sonata has to carry Jungle Boy. So this truly is a crossover joint cooperative performance. But then Sonata 
takes Jungle Boy down and in some fashion allegedly tied him up, his arms and legs wrapped up. He ended up leaving Jungle Boy on his knees with his head down and his arms stuck through his legs, allegedly stuck there, tied up in his own appendages with Sonata standing up laughing at him and Jungle Boy was acting like he was stuck and couldn't get free. And then Sonata drop kicked him in the ass to break that and that freedom hold that he had on himself. <laughs> so at that point, I hit the fast forward button because fuck this. You fucking little fucking long haired jack off. You TV star son. It's been just what? like Tony Khan. He's been catered to and handed shit, even though he's got the personality of a head of cabbage and the fucking mind for wrestling of a goddamn slug in a sewer. And now he's wiggling around with his ass up in the air and his face down and his hands between his legs like he's ready to get butt fucked by Japanese Sonata over here, who obviously was insulted having to get in the ring with fucking one of AEW's jobbers and tied him up and let him struggle on his own in the middle of the ring in front of all those people, and the idiot went for it. So, anyway. I'm sure before the match, he got a phone call, Sonata, from Roosh, who was like, just do whatever you want. Doesn't matter, just do whatever the fuck you want. He ain't gonna stop you. So they went another six minutes after that. Jungle Boy almost killed the guy with a reverse hurricane run on his head, but Sonata didn't sell it. He grabbed Jungle Boy's head and gave him a big swing by his head, but Jungle Boy didn't sell it. He cradled Sonata for a two-count. Then Sonata gave Jungle Boy the same stupid reverse Hurricane Rana that almost breaks everybody's fucking neck and a shining wizard for a two-count. And then Sonata gave Jungle Boy a half-hearted backbreaker, just like he picked him up and was kind of like, boom, gave him the backbreaker over the knee set him down, went to the top, just moonsaulted him, one, two, three. They did everything in the fucking world, and when they ran out of stuff, they just ended it. Boom, flat. And Sonata beat him and walked out, and then in the aisleway, Hook raised Jungle Boy's hand, and Jungle Boy turned around and clotheslined the fuck out of him. Even though he had absolutely nothing to do with Jungle Boy's win or loss or anything, because he hadn't done anything through the whole fucking match. It was set up clunky there at the end, too, just the lead into the clothesline. Well, and they were they were also they were walking up the ramp and they took so long they came to the announcer on camera who started pitching to the next thing, and then they had to say, Oh, wait a minute, something's happening, even though nothing was happening, so they could go back to these guys in the entranceway. And Again, they're having a bitter divorce after three whole dates. So that was that. What'd you think? On the bright side, I think Jungle Boy is a heel or Jack Perry is a heel. I don't know if he'll still call himself Jungle Boy, but he's a heel. That's the right move. He has gone as far as he can go right now as a babyface there. Now he's going to feud a babyface hook. That'll be interesting, but let's see Jungle Boy. Look, Jungle Boy has heard everything that everyone has said about him. Maybe he's heard some of what people in that company have said about him. Give him a mic. Let him be a heel. Let him not worry about being cheered. Let's see what he says. This is one chance. 
I shouldn't say that. It's AEW. This is one of many chances. Yes, sir. This is one of continuing <laughs> chances. But does he have any personality to be a heel? Does he understand what wrestling even is? Or has he hung around the buckaroos so long that he can't get it? Give him a mouthpiece. Let him sit back in a chair with his hair out and let him have his girl on his lap and people will hate him. Well, they already pretty much hate him, but I'm talking about money drawing. All right. Nevertheless, we will find out. But again, with Jungle Boy and Hook, who's the leader? Who's the experienced veteran bringing the the young young man up? There ain't one. Because even though Jungle Boy's been around for a while, he hadn't learned much. And Hook is a fast learner, but what's he going to learn from Jungle Boy? What not to do? All right, well, now they kick the foolishness into high gear. The match we've all been waiting for, Kingston, the Buckaroos, and Hangnail, and Ishii against the Plumber, Claudio, Useless, Umino, or Domino, is, oh, Domino, and Take a Shit, who's the only one in the whole match I like. Um... Did you notice they made Moxley cover up fucks on his sweatshirt? Oh, I did not notice that. No. Yes, it said death jitsu in big letters. And where it said zero fucks down at the bottom, it now just says zero. And they made him black <laughs> out the fucks. I did not see that. So, Funny. It looks like his IQ test came back in. That's the results. Um, hey, can I say one thing about their entrance? Please do. They didn't use Wild Thing. Whatever music they used worked a lot better for these guys' heels. Well, yes, because every, that's actually, I noted that because that's the only thing I like about them at all is getting to hear Wild Thing when they come out. Even that gets old because they take so long. But they, the people want to sing a Wild Thing. They don't want to sing whatever this fucking heelish music was that they used, which since they're heels, that's supposed to be that way, right? Good Lord. And Umino can move a little bit better than the other guys, but again, you know, it's like they all do the same stuff. And did you see Ishii? And take a shit got in and traded the... The you hit me and then I'll hit you with the forearms, 51. 51 forearms. Nobody went down. Then eight shoulder tackles. And then both of them took a bump at the same time. And then the buckaroos got in and did some cheerleading routines. And they were quite snazzy in their tasseled outfits. And then Moxley and Kingston get in, and they were former friends, and now they're mad at each other because of blah, 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 blah. And Eddie don't like anybody anyway. And they did the, well, you chop me and I'll chop you. And I believe the count on that was 24. Oh, awful. And they looked like shit. And everybody in the match was just standing on the floor watching them. And then the other eight guys jumped in and got in a fight while corpse referee stood there and did nothing as usual and then the buckaroos did their dives and hangnail did a moonsault off the top rope and while all this is going on kingston and the plumber were still standing there chopping each other <laughs> then claudio beat up kingston while everybody else stood on the floor and i wrote fuck this i fast forwarded 
15 minutes after that, before I could reach the end of this thing, where Ishii beat Wheeler useless with a brain buster one, two, three. They couldn't even have a guy beat their own guy from the other team that's going to be back in the next year. What did I miss in that 15 minutes after I said, this is the most ridiculous way to spend my time that I've ever seen in my life? I mean, it's hard to describe what you missed. You missed a lot of the Young Bucks stuff. and Good. Moxley continued to trend, and now it's funny if you watch it. Whenever he takes any move, he doesn't sell. He rolls. He rolls. He just takes it and rolls out and goes to the floor and stands there. And stands right up. And stands up like nothing happened every single time. Because he's not in the scene anymore. He's out waiting for his next cue. Yeah, this wasn't for me. Uh, I like Eddie Kingston. I'm not going to lie. I know he's not cosmetically the friendliest wrestler. I liked him at first, too, until it just it's endlessly degenerated into all this hoo-ha with these other fucking idiots. I was going to say, they've never done right by Eddie Kingston. From the moment that article came out and people really went crazy for him, they have never done anything with him. I forgot he's another one. He's one of the first ones they dropped the ball on because they weren't prepared for something they didn't do. And then Jericho had his great feud with Eddie Kingston. But I like Eddie Kingston, and uh, yeah, this was not a match for me. You're not the match for me. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, whoa, whoa. I'm going to fast forward past this shit. Anyway. Speaking of fast-forwarding past this shit, for the AEW women's title, Tony Storm defended against Willow Nightingale, who is the New Japan Pro Wrestling Strong Women's Champion, as opposed to the Weak Women's Champion, apparently. I don't know. They didn't have that belt on the program. And I gotta be honest. I'm sure that this match was probably better than whatever that previous event was but we were at this point barely halfway through this fucking show so tony storm won with a pile driver your thoughts all right match i will say this again tony storm is really really good as a heel they got to get her away from the other two because it's almost like they're doing like like they're like the women you meet at the bar and like tony's like the one who won't actually go in there and <laughs> I think she's got something. Her promos have been good. Her work is better as a heel than it is a baby. I'm not saying it was bad as a baby face, but it right. just wor- it's working for her. I think Tony Storm has been fantastic since she got this belt, and uh, I just think she's kind of held back by being with this outcast thing that no one cares about. Can we make a list of all the AEW talent that is being held back by something that's not their fault? you have any thoughts on Willow? Have you seen Willow much, or you just go past all these matches? No, I've, I've seen a couple of her matches, and she ain't bad, and she's got personality. But am I going to spend 15 minutes on a girls' match in the middle of four hours of this chaos, or am I going to try to get finished with this before I fucking collect my Social Security? Let me ask you this question, and I know you can't really put yourself in the mind of a female wrestler, <laughs> but if you're Tony Storm or Willow Nightingale, and you're booked on this show, and in your mind you want to have the best match you can, what do you do? You're booked after the 10-man tag that was nuts. They're put purposely in this spot where there's no hope for the match. 
Right. It's 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 to cool people off before the next, you know, one of Tony's favorites comes up and gets 45 minutes. You can't do much except the best you can. Cause sometimes it's just a death spot in a in a show where it's like, ah, Jesus. Because you knew that the the two singles main events with Tony's, you know, two of Tony's favorites was gonna be long, and then they've still got the six man. Man, that happened to me. Later on in the show, after, uh, I guess it would have been after the Omega match, I'm thinking to myself, all right, now we're ready for the final match. And they're like, all right, we have a big six man. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> from where? Where'd this come from? No. <laughs> well, and remember, and they, the, oh, by the way, we didn't mention they canceled Adam Cole and Filthy Tom Lawler because Adam Cole was sick, had a fever. And that was the match when we were running this card down. I said, well, geez, they didn't even say Lawler was going to be there. I like Tom Lawler. I might want to see that match. It didn't happen. Apparently, there was an angle on Rampage, which airs Friday the day before, or two days before the pay-per-view, to lead into why Tom Lawler was there, but I didn't see it. Apparently, they also had a mean phone call amongst each other. There was nobody there. Nobody else heard it, but that added to the match. So, yeah, Tony Storm won. And then, here we go. This is the big one. You could t- I'm sure Tony was all oiled up and greased up and ready to go. Will Ostrich and Kenny Olivier. And Ostrich's entrance video was a full-length movie before he came to the ring. I don't... <laughs> full-length movie was, about an assassin coming to Toronto. Yeah, it was very... Very science fiction-ish. Very John Carpenter. (laughs) Well, as we mentioned, and we saw when Kenny, old Twinkle Toes, was in Japan, they think they're characters in video games, and they actually dress like them, and they act like them, and there's some meaning behind Ostrich watching news video or whatever the fuck. It's very deep. It's very deep. And again, and and Don Fallis was at ringside with his own security, even though he wasn't technically in anybody's corner, right? That's the way they kind of presented it. At least these two guys can move. The, the other Japanese guys on the show are so old and broken down or crippled or whatever because of all the stupid shit they do. These guys have just started crippling themselves with all the stupid shit they do so they can move. So it's quicker. But they did the forearms too. Just back and forth. Shitty. No contact. Nobody can throw a fucking punch. Because I know Kenny's never been in a real fight except the one he got bitten in. But one would think Ostrich being a punk from the UK would have been in a few dust ups. Anyway, here's the thing. Everybody raves about how, oh, is this going to be, whether it's Kenny and Okada or Kenny and Will or this guy and that guy, it's going to be seven stars. It's going to be a classic. It's going to be the greatest match of the year. And so when I look at these two or any match that's presented with that expectation, I say, okay, how does this compare to Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat? Because as we all know, that is still the, pretty much the pinnacle of athletic competition in pro wrestling where it was believable enough to be a contest, but exciting enough to be pro wrestling. It didn't go too far. It was just, it was the porridge that was just right. Everything else is 
based on that. Any further, and it was fake. It was sports entertainment. Back up any, and it was fucking too dry. But in competition, in psychology, in the game of physical chess, as Gordon Soley would say, as something you could get lost in, whether it was 58 minutes in the Superdome or whether it was the fucking half an hour in Chicago or where, whatever, Nashville, whatever the fuck, you could get lost in that shit and you could buy it and the intricacies and the little things and the basics. This is an exhibition of video game moves by highly athletic performers with absolutely no basics and no psychology, and all of their little shit looks phony. The simple shit is phony. The complicated shit, the triple flips and lindies and landing on their feet and whatever, though, they do that fine. Because that's all they practice, because that's all they worry about, because that's the superficial fucking view they have of wrestling. But when they try to throw a punch or they try to grab somebody, it's the fucking exhibition of same. So, and there was no MJF in this to keep something this fucking long interesting, to have it mean something from one minute to the next. It was a series of moves and cool things they thought of to do strung together. Don Fallis inter interferes and gets kicked out like five or ten minutes into the match. He's gone. <laughs> Which, yeah. I mean, again, I, I was like, okay, they're going to just have the rest of the match. And then Don Fallis out there for the 20 minutes at the end. So I don't even know yeah. what to think of this. Oh, well, we'll, we'll get there. Um, Twinkle Toes got his juice by his head being smashed into the desk. Those looked pretty good. Um, of course, he got a pap smear instead of a juice job. But then... I enjoyed Ostrich wiping his crotch with the Canadian flag. That was a nice heel move. And then that set up Olivier clotheslining him and then getting the flag and wrapping it around his neck and throwing him around and hanging him. That was the best part of the match. That actually looked like a fucking wrestling match had broken out. If that had happened, though, in the States with an American flag, how big a deal would that be? I don't know what's legal and illegal anymore. You can't give the Nazi salute in Germany or they'll put, they'll put you in jail. Bradshaw right. found that out, but... I mean, I don't even remember. Are there foreign heels that were just wiping their ass with the American flag? Well, not in the territory days because they'd all been shot. <laughs> but anyway, so then Kenny ran Willie into the stairs and he got color. At least he got halfway good amount of juice. But then... <laughs> Kenny gives him the DDT on the stairs and they've been out on the floor forever. And this is not even halfway over with. And there were DDT and people on stairs. And then they just did a deal where one guy would give the other guy a German suplex. The other guy would bounce up to his feet and grab that guy and give him one. And they traded back and forth a couple of times. Uh, I wrote more moves over and over. It will not end. Countless two counts. At the 32-minute mark, Don Fallis came back to the ring. Referee sees him, does nothing. He's just standing there. And then Kenny does that shitty knee lift. What is he called? The V-trigger? I called it the Canterbury knee because of his little skip and prance that he does into it. So then Don is trying to pull 
Will out of the ring, but the referee gets out, and instead of kicking Don out again like he did before, which obviously didn't work, he just grabs him and turns his back like he's trying to pull Don away so Don can hand Ostrich a screwdriver. And then Kenny picks Ostrich up and gives him, or picks him up and sets him up for the one-winged fairy, and Will draws back and stabs Kenny in the head with the fucking screwdriver. And he goes down, then Will hits an elbow and his big finish move and covers him. And Kenny gets his foot on the ropes. A rope break off being stabbed in the head with a screwdriver and then hit with two finishes. And then Ostrich gives Kenny a taste of his own medicine with the one-winged fairy and gets a one count. And then the man who had just got stabbed in the head with a fucking screwdriver and given two or three big finishes gets up and they traded the forearms and slaps. There were 28 of them that I counted. They were going so quick because they were trying to make up for them all looking fake and phony and girlish with speed. So I might have been off on that count slightly. Then Kenny hits a brain buster and a German suplex gets a two count. Then another knee lift. Then Ostrich hits an elbow and goes for a double arm suplex and dropped Kenny right on top of his head. Not, not in the way that you drop somebody on their head in and giving them a move or even in the way that you in a working way I'm talking about, or in a way that you pick them up and you botch something and you drop them on their head. He picked him up and looked like he meant to do this. He just dropped him on his fucking head and got a two count. <laughs> and then another elbow. And then he hit his finish again. And then he covered Kenny, one, two, three. So not only was that match 40 minutes from bell to bell, but it was the flattest finish of the night because Ostrich just kept hitting moves on a fucking body with no build until he beat him. One, two, three. I think part of the problem was he used a Phillips head instead of a flat head. Oh, come on. Everybody knows a flathead will go deeper. That's what I said. He used a Phillips head instead. That's the problem. Oh, I I'm see agreeing with you. Okay. I got, I'm sorry. I, mis I misunderstood that. I can't disagree about some of the ridiculous stuff. I mean, surviving after getting stabbed by... Getting stabbed with a screwdriver right in the forehead. That's something. I enjoyed it. Because I kind of know what to expect from the big <laughs> Omega matches. And I like the first match they had. And I like Osprey. So I liked it, but I want to say this, because obviously you and I see a lot of these things differently, but, you know, wrestling, when I was a kid and my dad and some of the kids who hated wrestling first started saying wrestling was fake, the whole idea was they don't really hurt each other. And then as you start getting into it, you're like, well, they really do get hurt, but, the, you know, the intention obviously is to work with the person, not hurt them. Now it's just like they hurt themselves. Yes. And they let other people hurt them. Kenny Omega, whatever you want to say about it, Kenny Omega 
It looked like he almost broke his neck on that tiger drop. He got dropped yeah. right down on his neck and the back of his neck. He looked like he was rocked. If he wasn't, you know, give him a pat he on always, the back for being yeah, an actor. It, bear in mind, he always looks confused, but he looked, <laughs> he looked, you know, out of it at that point. But that's the thing, because, you know, Dave Meltzer, and this isn't to say anything bad about Dave, other than I disagree with this way of looking at it. He tweeted out something to paraphrase. It was like Omega, uh, Osprey beat Omega, 40 minutes, you know, great match. These guys really put themselves through a lot to entertain everyone. But there's no, like, the only demand for it is because they've established that they do it. Yes. And doing it is going to make these guys have early retirements. I mean, Kenny Omega, I don't know how much. Well, I'm all in favor of early retirement for him, but I don't want him to be paralyzed and in an iron lung to do it. That tiger driver was as bad. I mean, that was bad. That looked like Kenny Omega. How's he going to continue this match? And he did. And it, it, that, it would have been great if it was a money-drawing angle that you did when you attacked somebody and came back to have a match and just did that one move. That'd be fucking great. Long as it didn't break his neck, that'd be fabulous. But since it was just another meaningless move in the middle of this fucking ridiculously long video game match, you're just risking a fucking broken neck. But it's not even just this match. Look up and down this card. There's meaningless stiffness. Like, okay, everyone knows we're going to work together and now stand in the middle of the ring and just hit me as hard as you can. <laughs> Not pretend to, and I will make it look like it does. And it's hard when everyone's watching you and you're doing it like that well, in the middle it, of the ring, but... And it's even... It's not even that. Also, I don't mind laying a chop in if a guy's going to sell it, but when somebody is hitting you as hard as they can and you're acting like that it doesn't hurt, that's a double negative. I mean, just the whole, like, I'm going to put my chest out there now, either at the beginning of the match or sometimes after they've done tons of shit in the match, kicked each other's ass, they should at least have a little bit of a personal problem with each other by this point of the match. Okay, I'm just going to stand here, hit me as hard as you can, and then I expect you to return the courtesy, and I'll do the same to you. Oh, thank you very much. But that's the thing, you know, wrestling, we're all wrestling fans, and whether you like a wrestler or not, unless they're just a complete dirtbag, you don't want them to have an early death or an early career-ending injury or a lifetime of pain. Some of these guys have to start asking themselves, what exactly are we doing and why? Because I don't think too many people would be upset if Kenny Omega didn't land on his head. And there are only so many landings that you could have from what he landed on his head from. And as a promoter, you said, hey, nobody wants him to have a career-ending injury or whatever the fuck. As a promoter, even if I don't give a fuck about them personally, I've got an investment in them. TV time. I'm paying them. They're, they've got contracts. I don't, not only do I not want them to be hurt so that I can't book them if they're main event guys, but also as a promoter, I don't want these fucking idiots doing all this shit that doesn't register and doesn't mean anything because then when I do an angle that's supposed to mean something, that's supposed to draw, and some guy's supposed to be hospitalized or injured or hurt. What the fuck is left to do to him? So it's stupid for business. It's just indulgent for the fucking Mark talent that thinks that, oh, golly, I can do whatever I want because we're all friends here. So I'll just do every move known to man in the third match and nobody paid to see me. And I'll make it look fake when I do it. 
And then the main event can go out there and fucking play tiddlywinks. I'll make it look fake, but I'm really going to hurt the shit out of myself. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're all going to beat each other up, but everybody's going to be able to see through it a mile away. So that's my biggest issue with it. Again, I liked it for what it was. I knew what to expect, but they went 40 minutes of just kicking the shit out of each other in a work match, and there's no way these guys weren't banged up coming out of it. And at a certain point, you have to ask yourself, what business are you in? It's professional wrestling. <laughs> The whole idea is for you not to be banged up like that after the match. But that's my final thoughts. Well, speaking of the results of being banged up after a lot of matches, the next match on the card was a six-man tag team match with Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and poor old Minoru Suzuki going against Darby Allin, Sting, and Nato. And Nato came out to wrestle... (laughs) in the same three-piece white suit and cape that he wore on television. And it took forever to take it off, and then he's still wrestling in a T-shirt that's underneath that. And apparently is NATO somewhere around fucking 50 years old? Do you have any idea how old this young man is? Uh, Naito is 41 years old. Gee, all right. Anyway... Hey, let me ask you, what's a bigger death spot on this show? The Willow Nightingale-Tony Storm uh, match, which came out of the BCC 10-man tag match, or this coming out of Osprey Omega 40 Minutes? This one, because it's an hour later, and they did even more stupid shit that you can't follow. So, it, it, and there's poor Sting out there, 64 years old or whatever, still trying to do all this shit, and... <sighs> It was three hours and seven minutes into the main show. So four hours, seven minutes for the people in the building before these guys got started. And again, then Darby and Suzuki. And Darby was just standing there and allowing Suzuki to hit him with the forearms and the chops. And Suzuki's knocking the shit out of him. And Darby will then hit the guy back and he won't sell it. Doesn't even move. You know what hit me watching that? Suzuki either was not much bigger than Darby or was like the same size as Darby. Yes. He's got a little bit bigger upper body, but that's what I'm saying. You got this guy that looks like he could break like an egg, who's a legend, but nobody here knows that. And he can't fucking, not only can't carry that off anymore in the ring, but also does all this other stupid shit that apparently everybody in Japan, as well as everybody in America does these days. So Suzuki's embarrassing to look at. And then Jericho and Sting, they had to get in there together. So Sting gets Jericho in a scorpion deathlock, and Sammy comes off the top with a cutter and almost killed Sting. Cause he's in he's got the guy in the fucking scorpion, the sharpshooter. And when Sammy comes off, Sting's got, he's tied up with Jericho's legs. He can't just take a face first bump. He'll take a bump on Jericho's legs. So he just bent over and it, oh my God. So Sting Sting allows them to do this. This isn't the first time we've seen him be involved with something in AEW. Like, oh my God, I can't believe Sting's doing that. I know. And everything came to a halt and the crowd was quiet anyway, because after the last fiasco, there was nothing left to be done. And hold on, I skipped a page. I turned two pages. 
Darby and Sammy did some stuff. Darby cold tagged NATO. NATO made a half-assed comeback on Jericho. All the heels got sleepers on all the baby faces. Well, that's a spot you see all the fucking time. Uh, Darby dove on Suzuki. He dove at Jericho, but Jericho hit him with a Judas. And he was still out about five minutes later. So Jericho pulls out a table and puts Sting on it. On the floor. And he tells Sammy, I'm your boss. Jump off the top rope, put Sting through that table. And that's what Sammy does. He gets up on top and he does a double flipping cannonball off the top onto Sting, putting him through the fucking table on the floor. Right? And you Sting at the last minute, like, oh, this fucking guy coming. Why? Good God, Sting, you got you got money and health. Why? So anyway, then Jericho gets the walls of Jericho on fucking NATO and Sting is back in the ring already to try to break it up and he gets a scorpion on Jericho. But Sammy is, (laughs) the guy that delivered the fucking move is hurt out on the floor, but Sting got back in the ring. And then they did a bunch of sloppy shit to a lot of people. And NATO pinned Suzuki. What were we looking at here? This was uh, not good. Now, again, I was, to be fair, kind of a little bit out of it for this match because now that I knew I had a match buffering me between <laughs> the Omega uh, Omega Osprey match versus uh, and then Okada versus Danielson, I did use this as a chance to go and get food and do a couple things. Wait a minute. I thought you got food during the girls' match. This is like an hour later. This is like a while later, a couple hours later. How many meals a day do you eat? Well, maybe I went outside to smoke a joint. Look, I did something else (laughs) other than watch all of this match, but I had the BR Live shit on my phone, so I was able to take it with me. I can't believe what Sting's doing. I guess we still have to wait for more of the Jericho Sammy uh, stuff. This was in a death spot. Said something about how Jericho's uh, placed here. I don't know how anyone could have cared about this match. Everyone was just ready for the next match. Everybody, I think, was ready to start their car up and head on to the house. But we had one more on the card, three hours and 28 minutes into the pay-per-view, four hours and 28 minutes for the people in the building. (laughs) They rang the bell for Brian Danielson against Okada, our main event of the evening. And I wrote, what else can they do? We've seen everything possible that can be done to a human body. Danielson's so good at mat wrestling, he's very smooth. Okada looks in good shape like he's not crippled yet. He may be the one. And they started slow on this because they had to after four and a half hours of this. But then when they start slow... Within a couple of minutes, they're on the floor and they're bouncing around, you know, off the barricade and they're out there for a while and Danielson's working on Okada's arm and we're seeing some nice wrestling then. But I'm yawning because we've seen five hours of people being thrown into a wood chipper for no apparent reason. And then suddenly, a guy's selling a headlock. And this wasn't Danielson versus MJF. 
There was no match on this program on Forbidden Door as good as either of the the six-man or the eight-man tags we've seen the last two Saturday nights on Collision. For free. Was there? Was there one match on this card that was as good as the six-man on the debut or the eight-man last week of Collision? Well, I think a lot of fans would argue probably some of the main event matches here were. I'm not asking what anybody would argue. I'm saying, was there legitimately one with his guys as professional that made as much sense, that didn't insult anybody's intelligence, that was up and down and exciting and built to a fucking climactic finish and didn't wear out its welcome as there was either one of those two matches on this card. I think those matches were laid out well, and it makes more sense, and it's kind of the wrestling I like, but I don't think it's a fair comparison between those matches and Okada. No, it's not a fair comparison, because those matches were good, and these weren't. See, I think these matches, you don't like them, but I wouldn't say they weren't good matches. Well, Danielson and Okada did the best they could at this point in the night, and... To be honest with you, if this had come, oh, maybe two hours and 15 minutes into a show instead of four and a half, I'd have probably liked it better. But nevertheless, I don't know if I'd want cheeseburgers at this point anymore, much less another wrestling match. Oh, you would? Cheeseburgers? Come on. They were back on the floor. They went over the rail into the crowd. Now they were back in the ring with a wrist lock. Now they traded the forearms, but they were laying their forearms in better. See, that's the thing. Danielson and Okada did a lot of stuff that we had seen earlier in the night much better than the other people did it, but we'd already seen it. So even if you've heard the joke and somebody else that's a better joke teller tells it next, it still doesn't land as good because you know what's coming. Okada's got a great drop kick. Go ahead. I was going to say, do you think they should have, considering the audience that is there for this show how rapid they were, and how many people they had, including people that weren't even on the show. Looking at how things have been done the last few years, should they have made this a two-night event? Oh, good Lord. No, they should have fucking taken five matches off this goddamn card and kept it manageable and probably put Kenny and Willie on last because who's going to follow a double-juice 40 minutes stabbing people with screwdrivers? But that's the only way this could... The matches wouldn't have been any better, but it would they would have been seemed better because we wouldn't have seen so much other shit. Hey, real quick, before we get back to your match review here, what do you think about the placement of the matches? The fact that this was last, not Omega versus Osprey. I would have to think that Tony either was asked by New Japan, put Okada on last, or Tony, out of respect for Brian Danielson, wanted to put him on last. That was, to me, would be the only two reasons... Because when you look at what was going to be done in the matches and and you didn't have a world title to goddamn worry about, why would you not put the double juice, 40 minute screwdriver stabbing heat angle at the end on last? Anyway, back to the match. Okada gave Danielson a tombstone pile driver on the ramp. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. A guy that had to retire at one point from the wrestling industry because of concussions and blah, blah, blah. He gets a tombstone pile driver on the entrance ramp. I wrote, if he gets up, I quit. Well, he didn't get up. 
Okada picked him up and rolled him into the ring and didn't go for a cover. He went to the top and elbow dropped him. And apparently, at that point, when he dropped the elbow on him off the top rope, he broke Danielson's arm, landing on his fucking arm. And how the... So, then he tried to pick Danielson up and Danielson is limp. So the referee calls for the doctor and everything comes to a halt and the doctor comes in and checks Brian and I'm sure Brian was saying, well, I think I can finish this or whatever. The doctor gets out, nothing happened. Then they started fighting on their knees and then they got back into the match. But again, when you... When the dot the referee can't back one contestant up and just call the doctor in to check somebody, wouldn't that be the same thing as going, you can't continue, ring the bell? I mean, if that's not a ref stoppage, what is? It's a referee stoppage. There's never been a case in wrestling, either a work or a shoot, where if a guy was hurt for a work or a shoot, you could stop the match, have a doctor come in, check him out, and then start it again. That's an, an, another modern thing. <sighs> anyway, so point is, now poor Danielson is selling his right arm, and he's doing a great job of it because it's really fucked up. And when I saw him selling it, we've we've heard about it afterwards, but when I saw him selling it at first, I had to go back and say, wait a minute, what the fuck? Because... That was too good of a selling, and yes, he landed on it off the or the elbow off the top rope, and now I guess they've come out and confirmed that. And then, uh, you know, Danielson's in control for a while, and then a great all props to him for being able to put this performance in with whether it's a, it's not broken like it's flopping around, but crack, fracture, whatever the case. Then I started to say Obama. Okada, I wish Obama would make a big comeback, save us again. Okada made a big comeback and hit the Rainmaker. Is the Rainmaker like number 18 on the list of most impressive clotheslines in this company? I don't think it's as bad as you do. You just haven't seen it. Everybody else is cutting fucking flips and all. Anyway, so they get the back and forth going. And then Danielson gets the LaBelle lock, you know, the crossface. And he has to fight for it because the bad right arm and he can't. But finally, he locks in the LaBelle lock and holds it. And I put the watch on this for 45 seconds with both of them immobile in the ring in the hold. Then Danielson modifies it by bending Okada's left arm back. It, they haven't moved anywhere. They're in the same place. And he held that for about 25 seconds. Then he reached down and cross-faced him a couple of times while they were in the same position and then bent his arm back for about 10 more seconds and Okada tapped out. And basically, what I'm saying is they were immobile in the same place in a, in a hold or a variation of a hold for a minute and a half before the guy taps out, which is the opposite of what we've been talking about building a big slam bang finish with the people on the edge of their seat up and up instead of just stationary hold ah, for a minute and a half oh, okay i'll tap there's a reason why shoots are often boring 
And unfortunately, now that everybody's been influenced by the UFC and MMA, they haven't taken the good parts of UFC and MMA, the exciting shit and blah, blah, blah. There, You don't want shoots that look like works. You want works that look like shoots. They're doing a shoot finish here, and a lot of stuff they did look like a work in the match. You, you want to have your match look like a shoot and build to an exciting finish that nobody called bullshit on. You don't want your match that had a lot of bullshit in it then suddenly look like a shoot at the finish. So you want shoots that look like works. You, or you don't want shoots that look like works. You want works that look like shoots. I'm sorry, the finish was drab as fuck. They were just there. Are you there? I am here, and you are there, and uh, I am me, and you are he. Um, and we are all together on this, aren't we? Was that a flat fucking finish? The walrus was Bryce. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not as big into tap outs as everyone else. I know it's a big thing because of MMA and UFC. And plus, you couldn't see it because he was so tied up. He had to tap Brian's fucking with shoulder his behind his back with his fingers. And yeah. they're in a 14,000 seat building. Yeah, I mean, it's the kind of finish that Brian Danielson likes for Brian Danielson matches, is the way I would think of it. <sighs> well, anyway. Um, what do you think about them going with that finish, knowing that it was going to come out right away after the show that he had one arm? Does that make Okada look worse? Does that make Danielson look better? How do you see that? Well, they didn't, they didn't know ahead of time he was going to come out with one arm and, and, and I fuck Okada. He's the one that broke his fucking arms. I, I have very little sympathy for Okada, how he looked and he's going home anyway. And Danielson's still here, but now he won't be wrestling for another couple months. If that's the injury that, that, uh, that they suspect that he really has. So, he hasn't been wrestling much anyway. He's been on commentary for the well, Blackpool Combat Club matches. But you know what? You know what's in two months? Wembley Stadium. Boy, howdy, it might have been nice to have him in the buildup for that. Will he be ready? Will it be a photo finish? This match that meant nothing in the overall scheme of things basically cost him two months or however long of Brian Danielson. Hey, Bob Orton could do it. Why couldn't Brian Danielson? Well, but, and then, yeah, and he's also, he's over 40 now. And how many other injuries do you want him to work through until something finally gets him again? You see, that's so, the thing I worry about. I said it to you before Punk came back, and I thought, and I thought, I think Punk's looked really good so far. Again, he's been in multi-man matches, but I really like the Kojima match. Whether it's Punk or Danielson, Samoa Joe, any of these guys... From that era of independent wrestling who then got onto the main stage, the amount of damage they've done to their body and their age, I always fear that they're going to break down with a lot of stuff. And, you know, again, when you start having injuries like this, I don't know how much of the injury, I mean, I was curious what your thought is, how much of it was Danielson's fault for where his arm was? Well, it was attached to his fucking body. It wasn't, but it, it was kind of, I don't know, when I went back and watched it a second time, was it too far away from his body? Was there no, any way I, for Okada to hit that? The way that it looked to me, he was next to Okada came with an odd angled elbow drop to begin with, is what I thought. And I think the arm was pretty much next to his body, but 
I mean, again, all the Japanese guys were trying to come off the top rope and having trouble with it. And even if there was something to Kevin Kelly's explanation, well, they're different turnbuckles than they're used to, then don't fucking do it. <clears throat> but between the guys that looked so broke down, they were not jumping off the top, but falling off the top. And this guy breaking Danielson's arm off the top. I would have declared a moratorium on the Japanese wrestlers going to the top in that particular ring. Well, we'll see what happens next year. Forbidden Door 2024. <laughs> live from anywhere other than Chicago. Oh, my God. And one last thing before we go. Apparently, there was no backstage altercation because Kenny was kept completely on the other side of the building from our boy CM Punk. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Is that true? That's what I read on the on the internet, the interwebs, that they were kept on opposite sides of the building so that there was no altercation. Not like Punk is looking around for, where's Kenny? We're going to finish this thing. And I'm sure that Kenny wasn't looking for Punk. So it's ridiculous that they even had to make mention of that or do that. And I'm sure, I, I know who's, if anybody suggested it, it was either Tony or Kenny. So that's or Barry a, Bloom. <laughs> if I was punk, I would have sent someone from my camp over there with those chattering teeth and just left them in front of the door and knocked and ran. Oh, that's beautiful. As a matter of fact, what about a steel chattering teeth? That could be his, Ooh. his, uh, his best, uh, merchandise deal ever. That could be something that changes the whole way people look at the merch table. If all of a sudden you introduce chattering teeth into the mix. Yeah. And then you got... Imagine there's a boring match. You just start them all up at the table in the back of the room and you hear them all go. I think at, at one point, I wanted to have Ring of Honor sell streamers at the merchandise table because they were doing all the yeah. Japanese shit and throwing the stream. I said, why are we selling these? So, well, then the building gets mad. <laughs> it hangs on the fucking lighting grid and everything. All right. They're going to do it anyway. Exactly. Should streamers and make a comeback? I didn't know they'd gone away. When was the I last time you saw them? It. Well, I thought they still did it in Japan. Do they not? I don't know the last time I saw it done in Japan. Again, I don't watch everything. I don't keep up with everything. But maybe, maybe the Japanese arena of janitors union got pissed off also and was tired of cleaning up all that shit. Remember, we used to see them at first just when the Japanese wrestlers started coming over and then American wrestling fans started adopting it for Ring of Honor and other things. But it was a Japanese thing that was done to honor the Japanese wrestlers when they would come over. There's a whole card filled with Japanese wrestlers. Not, Not one, one streamer. Not one. Not one. Goddamn disrespect. If I was these New Japan wrestlers, I'd never come back. Somebody put to that Toronto? thought in their head. And by the way, what about... what do you AEW. What do you think of Will Ospreay winning the New Japan United States Championship in Canada? Oh, was the, this was for another belt. I've skipped over that. So yeah, the United States title for a Japanese promotion was won in Toronto, Canada. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> All right, this is your special update. This is our special update. If there's any other big news, anything else happening this week, you will find it right here on the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Of course, subscribe wherever you find your favorite podcast to the experience and the drive-through. Some big things about to happen. Stay tuned for that. But until Monday on The Experience and whatever we put up on YouTube, 
For Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!